Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast with me, your host, Christy Hool, where we dive into the hottest topics in education. Today, our guest is Dr. Deborah Offner, who brings more than two decades of experience in schools and colleges as a classroom teacher, counselor, administrator, and consultant. She has written a new book called Educators as First Responders, A Teacher's Guide to Adolescent Development and Mental Health for Grades 6 through 12, which is a comprehensive hands-on guide to adolescent development and mental health for teachers and other educators of students in grades 6 through 12. Welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Offner. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm excited about this conversation, and Dr. Offner and I we're chatting a little bit pre-intro about just how important this information, not just the information that's in your book, but also the information that you're just spreading um, through the work that you're doing, how important and how vital that is. So why don't we get started by just telling our listeners a little bit about your background and really sort of what led you into this work that you're currently doing? Sure. So um, when I first finished my PhD, I was a college professor um, teaching psychology, of course. Um, and I was at one of the state universities here in Massachusetts. And we had many, many students majoring in education who were taking my psychology class. And um, I loved them. They were, you know, future teachers. Um, and ever since then, I've um always worked in educational settings and with teachers. So um, I spent many years at a Boston private school um, where I worked uh, with many teacher colleagues who were not only my friends and fun people to be with, but they were really the people that kids went to and kind of my sort of on the ground um, contact people for students. And they would refer kids to me if they needed help or kids would confide in them if they had issues. And I found that they really were the first responders. And that was kind of my inspiration for doing the book because so many of them had great instincts and big hearts, but didn't always have the exact skills or language to engage with kids in ways that would make them feel confident and effective. So this mm -hmm. book for you know, those people and then anyone else like them who's working with kids every day. Mm -hmm. So in your book and in the work that you do, you talk a lot about uh, students in distress, students dealing with a lot of challenges and, and mental health issues. What does that typically look like in schools today? So it can look so many different ways. And that's the complicated part of the puzzle. It can be hard to recognize. And as I said, it can take many different forms. So sometimes it takes the form of, you know, what you might picture, which is like, a girl crying in the hallway or having an anxiety attack and friends gathering around and trying to support her and help her maybe missing class so they can take care of her. Um, but it can also take the form of things like a kid, you know, shoving another kid or um, flipping his desk over um, or a kid who doesn't come to school and says that they're sick and, you know, maybe they're physically ill or maybe there's something else behind it that's more psychosomatic mental health, it can take so many different um, presentations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because of that, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking about the teacher's role and the counselor and coaches and all of these folks in an educational setting that, you know, run into to students on a daily basis and have these encounters with them. If it is so difficult to 
pick out and, and it comes in all forms of different types of behaviors, both verbal and nonverbal. How as an educator, because I know our audience are, we have a lot of teachers, we have a lot of administrators, folks that work in the public school setting, folks that, that work in a private school, um, even homeschool families who are dealing with their own ch children yeah, in an educational environment. How do they one, build that relationship, because I'm assuming the relationship piece is really important. Um, how do they sort of pick up on some of those, those subtle hints and clues of children that might be in distress if they're not the kid flipping over the desk? Right. So yeah, I mean, what you said is really to the point, right? The relationship is absolutely key. The reason kids trust their teachers or confide in them either at their own initiative or when a teacher asks is because they've had, you know, a, a longstanding or sometimes not even longstanding relationship with that teacher. So I think establishing a classroom where there's mutual trust, respect, where you, you show that you're a good listener, where you share yourself as a person, not in ways that are too personal or inappropriate, but that you just make yourself accessible and relatable, that kids will often go to teachers if they don't. And I think those are the situations you're thinking of. Um, just pay attention. You know, what happens with teachers is you, they get to know the kids. You know if a kid seems different from how they usually are. You know if a kid seems different from many other kids their age or in their class. And when kids look different from their usual self or different from their peers, you can reach out even just asking, how are you doing? How are things going? Um, it shows that you're interested and it gives kids an opportunity to open up if they feel so inclined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I love how you say it, it really shows kids that you're interested, right? Because I know dealing with teenagers, it's a lot more difficult because they're not as, as easy to build a relationship with as potentially a first grader or a second grader or a fourth grader because of the development um, of, of that child where they are, you know, teenagers are kind of, uh, you know, and uh, so they can sometimes be a little bit harder to build that relationship with. But you also talk a lot about teachers and parents understanding the whole student um, and what it means to support growth and development in the areas of mental health around the whole student. So talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say the whole student. Yeah, so I think when I say the whole student for parents, what I'm talking about is kind of knowing the child that you have, understanding who that child is separate from you, um, and that they're not just a machine that's cranking out papers and taking tests, right? A lot of parents are understandably anxious about their children's achievement levels and future prospects, which are related to those. Mm -hmm. And so they can get very focused on achievement and lose sight of the wellness factor, the balance factor, the mental health factor. For teachers, um, when I talk about the whole student, it's all of that, but I think most teachers are in tune with that anyway. Um, it's also about recognizing students' identity. So if a student has a different mm -hmm. identity from you, whether that's racial, gender, sexual orientation, social class, all of these sort of systemic variables that affect a kid's identity, their place within the school community, just to be sensitive and tuned into that. It doesn't mean you have to speak to it necessarily in a direct way, but just that you're aware of differences and of how those identities play out for the kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like a lot a lot of work. And so I want to talk about the mental um, struggle and the pressure that is on teachers. Yes. Because of this, not just the students. So talk a little bit about how this is affecting teachers, you know, because when I was 
younger and I don't know, we may be close to the same age, but when I was in, in school, it looked a lot different, right? You know, we were there, we learned and teachers weren't wearing all these different hats. And now it seems like they're everything to kids. And so talk about how that's affecting the teachers. Yeah, that's a great point. And since the pandemic began, I've been doing a lot of professional development for teachers and counselors yeah. about burnout and mm -hmm. how to prevent burnout. Because what happens is, yes, you're totally right. Um, the role of teachers has changed um, on the whole, you know, on average. And so you are sort of all things to all people. For some kids, the teacher's the only adult in their life they might feel like they can talk to, right? And so that's a huge responsibility. There's something called um, secondary or vicarious trauma and also something called um, compassion fatigue and those are related. So secondary or vicarious trauma comes from um, hearing someone else's story of, you know, significant mistreatment, violence, sexual assault, you know, bad things that have happened to kids when you're taking in that information that affects you. It doesn't, it's mm -hmm. not as it happened to you, but it, it can have the same sort of effects on your stress levels. Compassion fatigue comes from the energy that's required to be empathic, to be supportive, to sit and listen and um, take care of kids who are struggling with not just trauma, but, you know, ongoing stresses of growing up or family dynamics that are hard, even milder things. When you're supporting the whole student, it can take a toll, you know, on your own yeah. energy levels and well-being. Mm -hmm. So it's a real concern. And schools need to be aware of how much teachers are doing in those respects and support them. Yes. Yes. And I, I would agree with that statement. When you're a teacher, you know, being a former elementary school teacher myself and administrator, you really do truly feel a lot of times like those are an extension of your own children. When you are in the classroom setting, you know, you care about these children, you love these children, you want what's best for them. And so I can totally understand, you know, but you putting it into those terms. And I think, you know, are teachers taking this seriously and our administrators taking this seriously and our parents taking this seriously? Or do you still feel we're in an age where, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, you know, they'll be fine or it's not that big of a deal. Are we really seeking help for educators and, and administrators that are in these roles? Yeah, that's a great question. You mean, are schools taking seriously the concerns of teachers or yes. adults taking seriously the concerns of kids? Uh, are we taking the adults' uh, health, mental yeah. health seriously? So that's a great question. I think with the pandemic, schools had to um, because they were finding, I mean, teachers were terrified in terms of COVID infection, obviously, and you know, return to classrooms and all that. Um, but also teachers are burning out, you know, we're burning out more and more early retirements, um, people changing professions, people deciding to, you know, start their own business and, you know, quit teaching. I mean, there's such a loss of professionals that were in the profession. And also it's hard to attract people mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons is the stress, you know, and the responsibility and pressure. So I think schools have had to start paying a lot of attention. And some schools are doing a lot to try to support their teachers in various ways. And the biggest things that I find when I talk to teachers that teachers need, um, time is one, mm -hmm. uh, any type of time, whether it's to eat lunch, go to the bathroom, you know, go take your own child to a doctor's appointment during the day, some flexibility about your schedule um, and some relief from custodial duties that might fill up your otherwise full already schedule. Um, and also obviously money. Now, nobody goes into education to make money, um, but things like um, good health insurance or um, 
paid time off or in a private school tuition benefits for your own kids. There's ways to help people take care of their lives that don't involve doubling or tripling their salaries. Now, it would be great to do that too, but I understand that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a way, and and I, and I'm and I'm hopeful that that this work is being done out there, that we can get some of this training to teachers before they even make it into the classroom? Like, are there trainings like this at the uh, at the at the university level and teacher programs where we're preparing them for, hey, this is what you're going to be dealing with in addition to curriculum and assessments and and the teacher tasks. Yeah. So that's a great question. I think at least in Massachusetts, which is the only place I've taught um, at the college or graduate school level, people that are in formal teacher training education programs do take classes in developmental psychology. They take um, sometimes a class in, um, you know, abnormal psychology. So it's called, um, or, you know, child psychopathology. Mm -hmm. Um, but people that are coming in as content experts, which is often the case in the private schools where you don't have to have a teaching degree or license, often have no training in this stuff because they've gotten a degree in English or you know history or biology and they don't have it. Um, I think what I would like to see with my book that I'm hoping to have happen is that, and I know I do this when I've taught college, um, people incorporate it into the curriculum of a class for teachers so that teachers who are going in already have the sort of mental health training. Most mm-hmm. teachers get it on the job or they're just intuitively so good with kids. I mean, a lot of teachers are actually quite gifted that they kind of fly by the seat of their pants and it works a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. but it takes a toll. I think I want people to have some basic skills and competencies that make them feel like they're equipped, you know, to, to get out there and deal with things. And the other mm-hmm. thing we give to teachers, especially new ones, is ask a colleague, run it by yeah. someone. Don't feel like you have to solve things or handle things by mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And that's what I was thinking about when you were talking was the support system for teachers, because the teachers and the coaches and the counselors, and it's not just teachers. And I want to make sure that our listeners understand that we are talking about all of the folks that come into contact with children throughout the school day, especially in the middle and high school, because there are a lot of different folks that are in and out of these children's lives. Um, and, you know, and the parents as well that, you know, we're not just focusing on that one classroom teacher because you're, you're talking middle and high school, they've got six different teachers plus yeah. coaches, plus counselors, plus assistant principals, plus, you yeah. know, whoever. Security <laughs> cards. I oh, mean, it's, yeah. Funny. You know, kids choose, kids don't know what people's credentials are necessarily. Yeah. They go to the person that's kind and mm-hmm. thoughtful and smart and nice. And sometimes yes. That is the security guard. You know, you wouldn't expect it, but in fact, I know a school where that that guy's a go-to. Yes. You know, so yes. He, he came to one of my trainings and it was the first time the security personnel had been invited to a professional development activity. And I thought, how wonderful because the kids are going to him. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And that just goes back to what you said about those folks that just have that that regardless of what their title is, that genuine care and concern. And, and, you know, children pick up on that instantly. They're so smart and they are so instinctive kids are, and they get that, right. They know, okay, this, this person might have this role, but they're, you know, the nicest person in the school that I trust. I remember when one of my children who's now graduated, um, from high school and moved on sadly enough, um, with his life, (laughs) I'm going through some emptiness, the stuff here in my house, but, um, I remember, I always remember him feeling like 
one of the ladies that worked in the cafeteria as, as a helper was his most favorite person in the entire school. And I thought, wow, she must really be making an impression on him to have him have picked her out of all these people. And he only has that little contact with her, but she genuinely cared about him. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And he might have, he probably would have chosen her to go to talk to us, you know, above a teacher or a principal. Exactly. Sure. So you want those people to to have the knowledge mm-hmm. too. You know, on and top you know, sometimes that. we overlook those people when it comes to training. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> uh, yes, PD should be for faculty and staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think, you know, talk a little bit too um, about the support. So if you are assisting a new teacher or a group of teachers and they really need that support system both out of the out of the uh, the school I'm sorry out of the school and inside the school where where should they go and what are some of the kind of techniques they can use to find that support system yeah so um one thing that I encourage schools to do and a lot of schools do it is to assign mentors to new teachers um it doesn't have to be your department chair you know if the school's organized in that way I'm talking more you know about um high school I work with a lot of high schools um it can be another teacher who has an interest in mentoring someone you know younger or newer um, people love to mentor. It actually is so meaningful for the person who does the mentoring. Um, and it's great to match people with someone. It's great to have um, a new teacher's group that meets like every week, every couple weeks um, to designate a time during the school day. Because, you know, once you get into after school time, people have other commitments and things mm-hmm. that they may have to attend to. But to really make it a priority that new teachers meet and get to talk just with each other about how things are going, there could be a facilitator or not. It just, you know, depends on the school culture. I think that's really important. Um, and I think making it clear from leadership on down that if there's an issue, you know, your door is open. And, and if you say your door is open, also actually making sure it's open, you know, not just giving mm-hmm. them service, but making it clear that you want to hear what's going on. It's an insurance policy. If teachers know they can come to you, you'll hear about things before they get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see this issue getting better as we move forward um, in 2023? Or do you see it progressively getting worse where we do need to really step up what we're doing. So I think there's a, um, like a mix of the directions things are going right. So I think need for need among kids is going up at the same time that awareness is going up um, and support is going up. I'm not sure that awareness and support are um, heading up as fast, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as the need. I think the pandemic sort of um, lay bare the adolescent mental health crisis and other things that were already in the works, even, you know, before that first infection here. Um, But now things have gotten, you know, really bad. I mean, we have kids still recovering from the lockdown, you know, remote school, depending on your situation, you might've been out of school for, you know, a year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of need, but I do think that on the whole schools are much more aware and responsive, just like schools are more aware of diversity, equity, inclusion in general. I think schools are more aware of emotional health. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and with that help comes your book, 
uh, your, your comprehensive guide and the resources that you're offering. So tell us a little bit before we wrap up about the book, where we can find it, what we will find when we get our book um, in the mail delivered to us and, and how we can use that uh, to sort of further our knowledge of how to deal with, with children with mental health issues. Sure. Yeah. So the book's available online, Amazon, you know, Indie Bookshop, you know, all the usual places. And if you go to my website, it has little clicks, you know, that you can go to order it. Um, The book is, um, well, it has different sections. uh, And so part of the book is about kind of normal adolescent development and trying to explain to educators why kids act the ways that they do and kind of um, bring on board a a sense of um, development and um, the teenage brain and, you know, all the things that you hear about a lot in the popular press. Um, And then the, the other parts of the book have to do with mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And then finally, there's a few sections that deal with identities. So race, um, gender and sexual orientation social class. There's a whole chapter on parents. Um, I find that teachers most of all want to hear about how to work effectively with parents. Mm -hmm. So I have that. Um, And there's little vignettes um, based, of course, on real life examples, you know, with a few details changed to protect privacy that you can use to troubleshoot. So like you read the vignette and then there's questions and you can do it yourself or discuss it with a group. My idea was that teachers would do it together as a group and talk about Um, not just the situations in the book, but then that that generates discussion of situations in your own school and you can help each other out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I love the vignettes. I've read the book and I think it's wonderful. Um, And so, you know, I want to touch really quickly too, before we wrap up, I know we've talked a lot about um, the mental health issues and anxiety and and, uh, coming back from COVID, but, you know, are you, are teachers able to use this book when we talk about, you know, the, the trauma that is affecting students around school shootings um, and some of the violence that's occurring in our schools and some of the things that students are seeing on, on social media that are potentially finding their way into schools as well. I mean, those are really hot topics right now. And I know that all the educators are trying to figure out a way to battle those challenges. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't address those issues in a particular chapter or in a particularly targeted way. Um, What the book does offer is ways to talk with kids and ways to listen to kids. And so while there's some, you know, information in passing in there about those particular issues, it's really more about engaging in the relationship and then hearing what the kids bring to you. So like I had a girl that got very, very disturbed by the, well, anybody got very disturbed by Mm -hmm. the George Floyd videos. Um, but she happened to be a black girl with a black father um, who was like the same age as George Floyd. And it it hit her in a different way than it hit some of the white kids in her school mm-hmm. because of her identity and her family. And so that is one of, it's not a vignette, but it's described in one of the chapters, kind of how she processed it and how a teacher helped her um, with her feelings about it and her own identity. So there's a lot of tools about how to talk about such things with mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. Being a former educator and administrator, I wish I would have had it then um, because it really does help. I think what I found that was beneficial about the book was when looking at it through the lens of a teacher or an administrator or a counselor is there's real life scenarios and situations in the book that you're addressing. And it kind of gives them a script, you know, a, a guide, like you said, a tool to follow because sometimes as adults, we aren't equipped to know the right things to say in a situation. So I think that piece is is going to be extremely helpful 
for folks in that situation where they can look through and say, oh gosh, I have an, you know, a situation very similar to the one in this book. And now this gives me a little bit of a nudge in how to approach it and what to say and how to respond to this child. And if, if they don't know, then giving them the help that they do need and putting them in the hands of the right person. Um, So I appreciate the book and the work that you're doing. I think it's so important and, and it's, it's important for teachers to have access to resources that are going to help them. I mean, because it's not going to change, right? I mean, we're, we're, we are where we are. <laughs> right. This is the new normal. Right. Right. This is the new normal. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Offner. I'm, I'm so delighted um, that you were able to make it on the show today and to have this conversation and really quickly tell our audience where they can contact you, uh, your website and any social media um, links. Yeah. So um, my website is DebraOffnerPhD.com. And um, if you go on it. Um, it shows the book and how to order it and talks about my um, professional development offerings and speaking um, that I do to get a sense. If you want to invite me to your school, um, I do a lot of professional development for teachers and I enjoy that. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll have to follow up with you in, in six months to a year and see how things are going uh, with the book and 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 with the, the challenges that we have in the school. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And this is Christy Hool signing off for this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast. We'll see you next time.